Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Back this morning in Hebrews chapter 4. Back this morning in Hebrews chapter 4. For one of the most important subjects that I actually see in the Word of God for the believer in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 has some encouraging words for the Christian, for the believer in Christ. In 2008, two friends, Grant Stubbs and Owen Wilson, were flying up a valley of Polaris Sound in New Zealand. And they were just flying along. They were looking out the beautiful panoramic view. And then there was this cough. And Grant's automatic response was, bless you, Owen. You know, like you do, you say that when you hear a cough. Here's the problem. Owen didn't know exactly what he was talking about because he hadn't coughed. And just then, on their little plane, there was a sputter of the engine, and then silence. And then the engine on their light plane died. Now, both men were believers in Jesus Christ, so they prayed. They prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed that they could get their little tiny plane over the next top ridge, that they would find a place to just put that plane down. And if they had to, their backup plan was to put it down in the water. But as they crossed over that next ridge, they saw an airfield that they had no idea existed at all. And they glided that plane right on in, even though it didn't have any power. And they came to a perfect, perfect landing on a grassy strip. And when they finally had a moment to breathe easy, once the plane had stopped and come to a complete rest, Grant and Owen finally noticed that they had pulled up with the plane right next to a 20-foot tall sign that read, Jesus is Lord. A not-so-subtle reminder that they were never really in any danger at all. Because as the redeemed in Jesus Christ, no matter what had happened to them, they would be with him forever. There is a promise of God's rest in our text this morning. And I want to invite you to join me in our study and just look at this text together as the body of Christ. And let's have an ongoing discussion about this passage because I think you'll see if you study it, if you look at it, that there is a promise, a beautiful promise in God's word this morning. Watch how we begin verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, if you care at all about the things of Scripture, this ought to grab your attention. There is a promise that God is giving us here of his rest for the believer in Christ. Now, here's what happened. Some of the believers, some of the Hebrew believers, they had thought that they had somehow missed God's rest. And when the Lord ascended, you guys remember in Acts chapter 1, when the Lord had ascended after his resurrection, the first Christians lived in expectation of the return of the Lord. But here's the problem. He hadn't come back yet. They believed the promise, but they thought, huh, maybe we missed it. 
And that's why over in Hebrews 10, we see these words. It says, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. You see, in chapter 10, the believers were told to patiently wait for the return of the Lord. And so I want you to understand that a big part of the section of this text is that the believers, they could relax. They didn't miss God's rest. They didn't miss their future inheritance in Jesus Christ. Christ has not returned yet. They didn't miss anything. There was no need to turn back to the rituals of the Jewish faith. God's rest is still promised to those who follow Christ. But here comes the question before us this morning. What is this rest? Some see God's rest as just heaven, meaning that we should fear we won't go to heaven if we make a mistake in our Christian faith, if we're unfaithful to the Lord. But this cannot be the meaning, because God has promised heaven to every believer redeemed by Jesus Christ, regardless of our personal faithfulness to him. Some try to teach that this is about the present rest, that we can enjoy our riches in Christ now. This is said to be resting in the Lord, a life of faith rest, of enjoying peace with God. Here's the problem with that view, is that all throughout the text, it's promising about a future rest. Meaning, this isn't about a believer losing their rest in Christ if they don't walk with him. This is about a promise of a future better rest for the people of promise. So here's where we dig in. The writer used the word rest just as Moses did. This is the key right here. If you want to unlock chapter 4, you need to notice this and pay attention to these words. That God's rest is the future inheritance that God promised his people. Let me say that again because you cannot hear that enough. God's rest is the future inheritance that God promised his people. You see, if you miss the simple teaching that Hebrews is written to believers, you're going to misunderstand that. You're going to misunderstand this entire section of Scripture and the beautiful promise given. For the Christian, this inheritance is everything that God bestows upon the believer in Christ when we go to see him. Meaning, this is a future promise. This is a future rest, not a present rest. And we can enter into our rest when the Lord finally allows us to lay down our work in this life. And when we get down to verses 9 and 11, we're going to see something. We're going to see that their Sabbath rest refers to a rest that follows a lifetime of work. Verse 3 is going to show us in a second that he's going to quote, the author is going to quote Psalm 95, which is yet another reference to this future reign with Christ. And so that actually tells us here that Hebrews 4 must be about the future. It must be about a future rest, not about saving faith here and now. The promise here is of a full inheritance in the future glory with Christ. It's not just about getting there. It's not just about stamping your ticket and getting to heaven. But it's about the privilege of ruling and reigning with Christ. Remember the teaching. When the generation of God's people, when the people of Israel crossed the Jordan with Joshua, they never entered into a complete rest before God. They never inherited all that God wanted for them. 
Because even though the Old Testament shows us that God had redeemed them, God had called them out as a people, even the generation that did go into the promised land, at times, what did they do? They failed to trust. They failed to listen to God. They failed to completely obey God. And they were constantly plagued by the Canaanites. And every time God's people compromised, they never reached all that God had promised. And that's the pattern that we actually see in the generations that followed. You see this in the book of Judges. It doesn't take you very long in the book of Judges to see this, does it, at all. The people didn't walk with God. Everyone did what? What was right in their own eyes. And then God, he disciplined them. And then they would repent. And then the next generation would do it all over again. And over and over and over again. But because of it, they never really walked in obedience to God and never experienced his rest. They gave up on receiving all that God has offered. And so the writer of Hebrews is just using this experience for Israel and saying, learn the lesson. Learn the lesson that there is a better rest coming beyond what was just promised in Joshua's day. And there is a warning to the Christian that you, dear believer, can come short of living for Christ now. And that means you will come short in the future of receiving all that God would like to give you. That is why the author told them, let us fear. He included himself. Notice that. He included himself. He's telling us, grab it. Receive it. Receive what God is offering. Now the question then comes down to this. Do you believe in the promise of a better future for the redeemed in Christ? Do you actually believe that? When you lay down on your pillow at night, when you're about to go to sleep, and there's no one else there but you and God, do you believe it? And if the answer is yes, then how is that going to make you live now? How are you going to walk it out? How are you going to live it? He says here in verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now the gospel was preached to us and to them, but what gospel? You have to ask that question here. The Greek verb just means preaching good news. That's all it means. Not a specific reference in this case to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Much the same as when the angel Gabriel stood before Zacharias and said to him that his wife Elizabeth would bear him a son. And then you remember in Luke it says, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring, notice, you these glad tidings. Glad tidings, good news. Same type of reference here in Hebrews. And the meaning is simply that the wilderness generation had heard the message. The good news that God had promised them a land and God had promised them they could enter into his rest. But what does this text tell us? It says it didn't profit them. It didn't do them any good, meaning that. Because even though they had been redeemed by God, even though God had redeemed them, they doubted his promise of a better future. They didn't trust the promise of God. They mixed their belief in his promise with doubt, so it did them no good. Now Moses 
Moses actually had to learn this. No one doubts that Moses belonged to God, but yet look at what he was told from the book of Numbers. We read in chapter 20, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. See, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that as a New Testament Christian, there's a promise here. There's a promise of good news beyond just the gospel of Christ that's been preached to us. He's saying, go deeper in your faith than just getting redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Move deeper into that relationship with God. The good news of the return of the King is there. The good news that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The good news that his enemies once and for all will be conquered with just his spoken word and that those who have served him will be rewarded for their faithful service to him. Now if you're a child of God saved by his grace, your place in the kingdom of God, it's eternally secure. There's no doubt about that. But if you fail to live in his promise for a better future, if you fail to live out your faith, you will miss out on some of what could be yours in the kingdom. David Bloom. That's kind of a name that's gone by in history a little bit, but he used to be on the Today Show, I'm told. I never really watched that show, so I would not know. But I'm told he was on the Today Show. He was a co-host for them. David died, unfortunately, back on April 6th of 2003. Now, he was covering Operation Iraqi Freedom. And he didn't die from injuries in the conflict. He died from a pulmonary embolism. This can happen when people sit for long periods of time. That's why we went and got you guys new chairs. We were worried about it. For David, that meant spending most of his time in cramped army Humvees. And he consulted some military doctors because he was having pain. And he even went to the length of describing his symptoms over the phone to doctors back here in the States. And they told him he needed to get medical attention, but he ignored their advice because he was a guy. That's what guys do. So he ignored their advice and he swallowed some pills. He swallowed some aspirin and then he just kept on working and he died. Here was a guy who had a family, a wife and three young daughters. And he took a lot of precautions to avoid becoming a casualty of war. He didn't want to die in the war, but he ignored the warning of the doctors that his life was in danger from a very treatable condition. You see, if only David would have listened, he could have avoided a greater tragedy. And it reminds me a lot, honestly, of believers. I see it all the time. You see it all the time. Who have put on Christ for salvation, but they won't heed the warnings that failing to live out the promises of God in your life, it will cost you something in eternity. Verse 3 could be translated better. The New King James says, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The problem with our translations here is just that there's a limitation in the English language. The Greek participle, we who have believed, this should stress the progress of the action in the past. Meaning, instead of saying, we who have believed, it should be, we who believe. 
We who believe do enter that rest. Meaning this is not about their original faith in the past. This is about persevering in the faith. In order to receive rewards in the future, you need to live by faith now, today. And that is why God has declared with an oath that the people of Israel would fail to enter into his rest in the promised land. And that's the reference in Psalm 95. Because they didn't trust his promise, even though God's rest is something that had been established by God all the way back at creation. And that's really just the big idea here in verses 4 and 5 where he says this, For he who has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place they shall not enter my rest. So if you're having a hard time following the writer in Hebrews, here's what he's doing. He introduced the idea that God rested on the seventh day because it teaches us that rest follows work. And the work that God had called the people of Israel to in the wilderness was to trust him, was to obey him. And if they did obey God, if they trusted him, they could have had rest. They wouldn't have had to wander around that stupid wilderness forever and they could have gone into the promised land and oh, that would have been so great. And they could have trusted in God's blessings and they could have trusted in God's protection. What's the work that God is calling us to do? It's the same type of trust. And a life lived with this same type of trust means that there is a full inheritance promised to us if we obey. But if we turn in our walk, if we fail to live by faith, there will be a loss of rewards when you stand face to face with Christ. Now here's what the nation of Israel did. You see, they didn't want to obey. They didn't want to listen. They still wanted the rewards, though, didn't they? Oh, yeah, they still wanted to go into the promised land. They still wanted to enter into God's promise of rest. But they refused to believe the good news of the inheritance that could have been theirs. And even after God rebuked them for their unbelief, they still tried. Do you remember from the story in the Old Testament? They said, hey, let's do it anyways. We will still try and go in. They tried under their own strength, and then they were defeated. And then they had to wander around in that wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off. You see, unbelief keeps you from entering into God's rest. I think believers do the same thing all the time today. They want the reward without the obedience to Jesus Christ. But the author is telling us that work comes first, then rest. The works done in faith by the believer in Christ under the power of God's Spirit living in us, walking daily by faith instead of turning from Christ. And if you don't labor for Christ, don't expect his rest. Because you don't get to sit around and do nothing and leave the job undone and then expect rest, then expect a reward. Your boss wouldn't allow that. So why would you expect God to? Labor first, rest second. And that is why God said of the nation of Israel when they rebelled against him, they shall never enter my rest. There's a greater rest offered to believers in Jesus Christ who faithfully endure and complete the work set before them. Pick it up in verse 6 with me. 
Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of what? Disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't make this text harder than it is. The writer's just saying, just because Israel failed, it doesn't mean that God has done away with his promise of rest. And the writer is still pulling from the words of David in Psalm 95 and showing that even then, years after the nation of Israel had failed to obey in the wilderness, God reaffirmed his promise of rest. Meaning this, when God tells us in his word that this promise of a greater rest is still available for the believer in Christ, if you have any sense at all, you're going to pursue it. You're going to labor for it. You're going to chase it. And the author is thinking mainly of Psalm 95 and the focus on this word today. Focus on that word. Because if God's rest had been fulfilled in the days of Joshua, then the psalmist writing all those years later wouldn't have made the same warning and the same offer of rest to his generation. And that's what Hebrew says again in the next two verses. He says, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of what? Another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Now, the rest promised in the days of Joshua, the rest demonstrated in creation itself, it all points forward to a greater rest that is yet to come. God promised it. The text says, some must enter it. When Israel refused to enter into God's rest, God didn't just close the door completely. That is why God spoke hundreds of years later through David of another opportunity to enter God's rest because Israel had not found it yet. When Joshua led his generation of Israelites into the promised land, they expected to find God's rest there. Rest from the hardships of the wilderness. Rest from the enemies that they had. They expected to find that rest in the land flowing with milk and honey. But the people always, they turned their hearts back away from God. And soon after Joshua's death, their enemies attacked again and again and again. They were never experiencing God's rest. And the author is saying, today you have the opportunity to enter it unless you disqualify yourself. Christians will enter into God's rest when we receive our inheritance from the Lord Jesus Christ at his judgment seat. That's the teaching of 2 Corinthians 5.10. Read it with me. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or or bad. You see, during the millennial reign of Christ, Israel will be back in the land. The Hebrew people will inherit the full boundaries of their land. But the millennium, it's really just the beginning of the reign of Christ. And God is promising a better rest for all eternity. It is more than just the Sabbath rest was for the nation of Israel. And it's more than just the rest that we have now because of the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Another warning in the next few verses. It says, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore 
watch, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now in verse 10, what is the author doing? Well, he's just simply going back to the importance of good works for the believer in Jesus Christ. And here's what he's saying. When your journey on earth is done, your opportunity to live by faith, your opportunity for good works, it's over. There will be no second chance. There's no makeup test at that point. You won't have the opportunity anymore to live by faith because on that day, you won't have to live by faith. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to be standing face to face with the Lord. We'll quit working by faith just as God stopped his work in creation. And so he's saying, be diligent now, believer in Christ, to enter into that rest. Make every effort now. Do something with the faith that you have. Works are not a part of our salvation, but they absolutely are a part of living out the Christian life based now on faith. We're talking about our future inheritance in Christ's kingdom. I hope you care about that. The type of diligence that we're being called to, it's about a life of faith, enduring and relying on the grace of God in our lives. The believer that neglects this is in danger of falling in their Christian faith because they are following the example of the believers who failed to enter into the promised land. Now, why does he mention? You ever wonder why he mentions falling here for the believer in Christ? That's kind of an odd thing to say. Well, there's a reason, because back in chapter 3, verse 17, you can flip back on your own, the text told us that those who failed to enter into the land, their corpses what? Fell. Their corpses fell. So the writer's just saying, don't let the same thing happen to you. Hold firm until the end, when you can take possession of all that God has promised in his kingdom. You see, every believer in Jesus Christ will be raised up to enjoy eternal life in the presence of God. But only some will share the reign of the Messiah because they have endured to the end. If rest was just heaven in this text, we would have no need to be diligent because God has promised all believers will be there. And if this text was just about the rest we have right now as believers in Christ, because of God's forgiving mercy and grace, there'd be no need to be diligent because we would already have that rest. Carry out the work that he has given us to do. Let us, notice the writer says, again, another time. You see, as believers, let us press on until the end because the reward is still yet ahead. A couple of years ago, that fine young lady right there in 2016, Lee Adnes Rodrigue, at just the 12 years of age, she did something you don't want to do. She accidentally ran a half marathon in Rochester, New York. Here's how that happened. She signed up for a 5K run. But she was one of those that was so worried that she was going to be late that this sixth grade girl got to the starting line early. And there was a group of people that were already there. So when they started running, she just joined in and started running right along. Lee just put her focus on putting one foot in front of the other and didn't realize until mile four that the finish line was nowhere around. Something was wrong because it wasn't there and she just kept running. Finally, she turned to another runner and she said, how much further is this? And that is when she learned that she was actually in the half marathon, which is just over 13 miles instead of the 5K, which is just 3.1 miles. But here's what's impressive about her. Instead of dropping out, she decided to just keep on running. 
Her mom had lost track of her, so when she had gone to park the car, she didn't know where she was. And when her mom got to the starting line to see her daughter off, her daughter was not there. And so like a good mom, she panicked. She panicked at that. And with the help of the police, they looked for her for two hours. And you know where they found her? They found her still running. And she kept running. And there you can see on the screen her with a medal because she was one of the youngest, youngest students to run the race. I think the message is that for some of us, the race is longer and more difficult than we first thought in life. Maybe... This isn't even the race that you signed up for. But the message of Hebrews is to keep running because the finish line is getting closer and closer. And the day is coming when our work on earth is done. The hardships will end and the faithful can know that the full reward of our Savior awaits them. Watch verse 12. You know this verse. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, Christians like to use this verse all the time to show that God will judge unbelievers. The context is referring to God judging believers to determine rewards. You see, after the rapture of the church, there will be the judgment seat of Christ when the Savior judges His own not because of just our outward actions, but because of the counsels of the heart, the motives within, the attitudes within, and he's going to use his word for this. The word is living. Why is the word living? Because it is the word of the living God. It's powerful. And the sword in view, I wish you could all read it with me in the Greek. It's so beautiful. The sword in view, it was a small one. It was like a boning knife that cooks use to kind of cut up meat. It's a double-edged sword. It's real small. And it was a symbol back in that day for the judges and the magistrates in the Roman world because it illustrated the power of those officials to be able to turn both ways to get to the bottom of a case. You see, that's the power of God's word. It cuts through. It reveals the heart. It reveals the motive for the things that we do. It's able to expose our thoughts and our attitudes. It penetrates right down to the joints and the marrow, right down to the division of soul and spirit. It discerns the true motives behind everything we do. Dividing down to the soul and spirit, the meaning is that God's word can discern between what is natural in a man and what is spiritual in a man. God knows. The author is saying that God's word can reach into the innermost parts of our being. You can put on a good show. You can come to church, and I hope you do come to church, but you can come for an hour on Sundays, and you can dress nice, and you can put on a good show, and you can pretend to be sincere, but there's no secrets hidden from God. Wrestle with this. Any thought you have, God knows it. Any thought you have, God knows it. The inner life of the average Christian, including my own, is a mess. You and I cannot tell if someone is doing something for the right motives because they love Christ or because they have a selfish motive. The heart of man is desperately wicked, but the Word of God, it just cuts right on through. Be glad. Rejoice over the fact that we serve an impartial judge and that His Word is able to cut through judging the things that cannot be seen. And so the author tells them in verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
Nothing can be hidden from the sight of God. So you might as well just start being open. You might as well just start being real and open and honest with Him. Everything is laid open to Him. Everything is uncovered before Him. Live like you know that one day you will stand before Jesus and give an account of how you lived for Him. Not about for redemption. Not about redemption for those in Christ, but how you use the time, the gifts, the resources that he has given to you to serve him. Boy, I hope this motivates you. Do you remember the words of 1 John 2.28? Powerful text. It says, and now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence in what? Not be ashamed before him at his coming. But thankfully, praise God, we're not left helpless. We have a high priest with the grace and the mercy that we need. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Our great high priest has already proved himself faithful. He is now in the presence of God the Father where he intercedes for us. He's not just a priest of Israel serving on earth. He is the one that we will follow through the heavens one day. Our high priest, let's be clear about this, our high priest is not an angel, and he's not Moses, and he's not any other person that you can imagine. It is Jesus, the Son of God. It's not just a man, it is Jesus, the Son of God. You see, the earthly priests back in the day, they had to enter into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacles once a year for two reasons, for the sins of the people and for their own sin. But Christ intercedes before the Father for us for our sin, not for his own because he had no sin. But he tells us, the author tells us here, we need to hold fast to our confession. Why? Because that has been the entire point in Hebrews thus far throughout the last two chapters. Hold fast to your faith in Jesus Christ. Hold fast to your calling in Christ and refuse to turn back because the ministry of our great high priest, the ministry of our Lord Jesus in heaven as our faithful high priest, it gives a certainty to the promise that God's people will enter and inherit his rest. But they need to hold confident in him. Some of you can remember... January the 13th of 1982, when an Air Florida flight, a plane much like this one, crashed into the Potomac River in Washington, D.C. Now, I'm told, and, and I've read about this, that it was a horrible day. The airport was shutting down because they had ice. They had some horrible weather. The captain and the co-pilot sat on the runway for 45 minutes with ice just building up on the wings of this plane before they took off. And then they got about a couple hundred feet off the ground, and then 30 seconds later, the plane slammed into the 14th Street Bridge crossing the Potomac River, less than just a mile from the runway. Of the 79 people that were on the plane, 73 died immediately. 73 died on the impact, leaving just six survivors crying out for help in the icy waters of the Potomac. But the traffic in D.C. and the storm meant that people couldn't get there in time to help out. And so a helicopter finally got on scene, and they used a rescue line to lift people up from the water. And a ton of people were standing on the bridge, stopped there, and they had to just watch helplessly as one of the survivors, she couldn't hold on. She began to sink down into the water. 
Well, people on the bridge, they began to sit there and just shout. They actually began to scream, wanting her to do something, telling her to hold on and wait for help. But what could they do? Well, thankfully, there was a man there by the name of Lenny Skutnik. He refused to just stand there. Without any hesitation at all, he jumped down into the cold water. He jumped down between all the debris from the plane and the, and the explosion, and he swam to her rescue. Let me tell you what Hebrews is telling us this morning. It's telling us that we have a great high priest that will step in and help us. You see, he stands ready when no one else will and when no one else can. There is a river of temptation that every one of us in this room faces. The temptation to quit. The temptation to give up. To go back to how we lived before. But Jesus is telling us to hold on because he's coming. And he stands ready to help his own. So hold fast to your confession of faith, knowing that he can rescue out of the temptation to sin. And look to the rest that he has promised. Look to the rewards for being found faithful, always looking to our great high priest and always, as Paul told Titus, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.